Welcome to Talent Sandbox, the podcast that explores how talent acquisition professionals can optimize and future-proof talent acquisition. My name is Neil. I'm the co-host of Talent Sandbox podcast. Join us as we explore the latest trends, strategies, and best practices for attracting and retaining talent in your organization. Our talent acquisition practitioners will share their real-world insights on everything from small sourcing, candidate experience, diversity and inclusion, through to the building of a global talent acquisition function. We will leave you with actionable takeaways that you can apply in your business. Whether you're a recruiter, hiring manager, or HR professional, we're here to build a better talent acquisition process for everyone. So welcome to this episode of Talent Sandbox Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today with Adam Gordon. Adam is a very well-known entrepreneur in the talent technology space. He's built and exited a number of businesses during his career and has a good eye of where talent acquisition market is moving. His most recent success came from Candidate ID selling to ISIM. He has now just launched his new exciting business called Poetry, which is the recruiter enablement workspace, which I'm sure we'll find out a lot more about in a few minutes. Hey, welcome, Adam. Uh, great to have you on the show. Um, thanks for, for being here. So for the benefits of the of our listeners who, who may not know of you, maybe you can tell them a few things about yourself. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much for having me, Neil. It's uh, great to be here talking to you today. Uh, I started in recruiting in 1999 in agency, spent three years placing newly qualified accountants from big four accounting firms into industry. Um, probably after about a year of that, I knew that listening to these people with like two, three years experiences training to be in it, like doing audit and telling me that they wanted to be CEO and they wanted to be this and that, I wasn't that interested in their career aspirations. And so talking to candidates was, was not, not really for me, but the bit that I did really enjoy and the bit that I pursued for a number of further years was around the recruitment marketing area. So I joined a business, which at the time was called Riley. It was one of the top UK recruitment marketing agencies. Uh, it's now Havas People, what it's called. And right. um, I did a lot of work around employer branding and recruitment advertising. Worked with some big name companies, helping them to convey why people should come and work for them. Being based in Scotland, um, a lot of call centers and like shared service centers and things like that. So um, I got to work with some really big, big name brands, but convincing people to work for them in like their IT shared services center or their outbound sales operation or whatever. And I, I, re I really enjoyed it. Did that for a couple of years, worked at PwC and HR consulting for three years around the area of like HR communications. So it was an obvious extension from employer branding and, and recruitment marketing. And then started my own business in 2009, which was a talent sourcing company. We were just selling mm -hmm. our time finding people online and building up talent pools, really. Um, that was a lot of fun. I spent four years as part of that time. We spent four years as a Norman Broadband company. So um, I, I sold that business to Norman Broadband in 2012. But then I bought it back in 2016 in order to seed the next company, which was tech business called Candidate ID, built that up over a few years, um, six years, I think it was actually, and then um, sold that to iSIMS last year, the applicant tracking system uh, provider, and have uh, just six weeks ago or so started a new company called Poetry, 
which uh, we're on a mission to build recruiter enablement technology. So that's just like my background in a nutshell, which I know it's like a long time. So sorry about that. <laughs> no, fantastic. Now, listen, great to to be chatting through, and we'll we'll get back to poetry. I'd love to hear more about the journey and how you you build that in a few minutes. Um, so, one of the things that um, you know is is hot on talent acquisitions mind at the moment. There's a lot of disruption out there. You know, a lot of change. Um, you know, whether that's been brought through by by techni- technology or, or economic situations. So I'd love to hear from you because I know you interview and meet a lot of TA leaders and practitioners around the world right now. So what's your view of the, you know, what's happening within talent acquisition, maybe some of those factors that drive in some of those changes? Well, you're right. I do. I talk to a lot of people. I I, I do it in two different contexts. The first is I'm, I'm pretty regularly, probably three out of four weeks, I'm like co-host on Recruiting Brain Food. So I get in. Mm. A recruiting briefing live so i get to meet a lot of people through that and then through the recruiter enablement channel on youtube i've got to meet a lot of people i've done nearly 100 interviews in in five months with mm-hmm. with people and we're living in it's fair to say we're living in a world of in, in, incredible change it's very very dynamic the thing that is front of my mind constantly is what are the jobs that just don't need to be done by humans anymore. And actually humans yeah. do worse than a robot does. And, you know, I, I can't, I've not been alive forever, so I can't say that this is the most dynamic period of all time, but I suspect it's certainly one of them. And for people working in talent acquisition today, I think it's going to be very challenging to keep up with everything that's going on, whether that's to do with the labor market and economics, all the impact on that, whether it's to do with consumer demand or how to interact with a company and how to go about actually looking for and applying for a job, whether it's to do with the incoming generations coming into the workforce and what jobs they actually want to do and what jobs they're rejecting. And then, of course, what I said about the the, the impact of technology on what jobs need to exist and what don't. And, And that's before you even think about the shape of organizations. So this isn't just an issue for uh, talent acquisition people. This is where talent acquisition people could have a real heroic role to play when it comes to advising the CFO and the CIO and ultimately the CEO. Mm. And what should the what should the shape of the business look like? So yeah, that's before we start thinking about artificial intelligence and big yeah. data and all the other things that are in there. So um, I, I think. It's a very uh, important period in the evolution of talent acquisition. And it's a real privilege to have a ringside seat watching what's going on. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, it's it, for me, you know, like you have been in the industry 25 years and it's the most interesting place to be uh, right now uh, than ever before in my career. And, you know... One of the questions that you touched on before, and I just want to go a little bit deeper on, is is around that value question. So we think about TA leads, a lot, lot of chatter, a lot of discussion out in the industry around how do we create greater value for our organisation right now. So if you if you think about you know the the value creation within TA, what what would be that kind of advice in those areas that you would explore further? If you were TA leader right now in this industry, what would be the the areas that you would explore? I would do two things. I mean, the first is in terms of the, my team and my team's output in mm. the 
and medium term. I would work extremely hard on uncovering what is demand going to look like next week and next month and nine months time from now. Mm -hmm. And I'd make absolutely sure that we were doing what we needed to, to build relationships with enough people who have the skills that we're going to need in, yeah, next week, in nine months from now, and in three years from now. And so a lot of that's around talent engagement, talent nurture, building up pipelines, and establishing where there is insufficient supply of skills to get tasks achieved or strategic objectives achieved. How do we go about ensuring that we build the talent that's needed? We build or we build the talent, the talent's the talent. We build yeah. the skills within yeah. that, within the talent. So for example, I am absolutely sure there is less need in three years time for people working in contact centers than there is today. However, within those companies that employ a lot of people in something like contact center type work, I think there's probably other areas that they're going to need skills for where many of those people have got the aptitude to be able to you know, cross skill. So. I think that making sure my team's got everything it needs, all the information it needs to be create on-demand supply when the hiring teams need it. That would be the big win for the, for the short and medium yeah. term. Yeah, I mean, a lot of TA leaders shy away from effectively what you say is work strategic workforce planning. Um, but I've always thought that that's that's a fantastic area to to get to the source of driving the demand right so what is the demand how do we shape that demand um you know are we really looking for the right skills to go that next level down around um understanding the the skills and the the competence required to drive that function you know in question so so i, I totally agree with you that if you can get to that place of demand creation is is a great place to be yeah, absolutely. And the, and and then I I would be thinking about that. I would be thinking about what's the right shape for my team mm -hmm. to full, to fulfill that. And I would be I would certainly be looking at how do we automate the repetitive tasks and what are the things that we don't really I don't really need five recruiters doing that yeah. today, but I do need skills moved over from there into like working on this. Mm. So is my I would I would have a monthly analysis of is my team the right shape for what I need to deliver? And then personally as a TA leader, I need to become chief talent advisor to the CFO and to the chief people officer and to every all through the alphabet, all the chiefs. I need to be the <laughs> talent officer to yeah. all of these people around not just how do we get the jobs filled, but much bigger than that, which is, is that jobs? Is that humans we need to do that? Right. Or is there another yeah. way to achieve those tasks and get that mission accomplished? What countries, if it's humans, what countries should that work be getting done in that's going to create the best uh, result for our organization? Yeah. And, and I think you've, you've, you spoke about this before, but when you talk about resources, it can be robotic. It can yep. be human, right? Yep. It, it, it doesn't necessarily anymore need to be just human as nope. we talk about resources. Nope. 
totally agreed. And the other thing that I should be advising my senior executive team on is if it is human, is it humans who are employees mm. or is it humans who are contractors or is it outsourced? Is it, um, is it, is it, is it full-time jobs? What are the times of day that we need the tasks to be done? You know, there's a, there's a lot in that. And I think we definitely need to, um, elevate ourselves from being, here's how we get the bums on the seats mm. you, to here's how we advise the organization around getting the, the company's tasks accomplished. Yeah. And, you know, and ste stepping on from that. So there is some great TA leaders out there, some great t TA functions who are doing some fantastic work. But one of the, th the, the things that keeps coming back time and time again is how do we evolve the TA skills within our industry? You know, and uh, it's moving at a rate of knots. We've got recruiters who are doing 360 roles right now. And but we've got a really much more fragmented, specialized function than we've ever, ever had before. You know, from branding through to analytics, through to you know various other things. So, love to hear about you know you know if you think about those <clears throat> those kind of in demand skills now, which people should be working towards. Is there any any kind of specific focus that you've seen through your research you've been doing? Yeah. So. Back into it, I'm no, I'm not some big futurist thinker. However, I do, I did stand on stage at Sozu Sourcing Summit in Amsterdam back in 2017, and I looked out at 300 talent sourcers and I said, "You're going to have to change your skills and mm -hmm. and learn new skills because finding people is no longer, or is very soon not going to be." A difficult thing for you to do so see all the skills you've developed around boolean search and x-ray search and tools to aggregate you know people and interrogate websites that's all going to be done at the click of a button like very soon and so what you need to become is data analysts experienced designers and tech managers and i maintain today that that's what recruiters need. They need to be data analysts, experienced designers, and tech managers. And most people didn't get into recruitment to do any of these three things. And all three of them are slightly different. So the data analyst is a analytical skill set. You need to be highly numerate and you need to be able to derive insights from numbers. The experienced designer needs a marketing mindset and they need to understand, you know, what is it that people feel and when they see that or hear that and what is it we want them to do as a result of feeling that. So, you know, they need to kind of work backwards and, and they need to put themselves in the context. So they need considerable emotional intelligence and high on vision around what's going to get the ultimate number of positive clicks and mm -hmm. people doing what you want them to do and then the tech manager is a bit of both of those things it's highly analytical um uh, very tech savvy uh a great understanding of what is and is not achievable with technology um uh, today and an understanding of the limitations around things yeah. like 
information security and integrations and single sign-on and you know all those sorts of things. So none of this is the you know you and I when you and I started in recruitment in the late nineties, we we were learning that were we? We were That's learning it. yeah yeah we were learning telephone sales and we were learning you know things like that. So it's um, I mean the the analogy I I always you know give is this kind of this concept from a manufacturing perspective. You you know manufacturers are going from this kind of mechanical format. You know, people on a on a kind of production line to now there's iPads on the production line, right? You know, they, you need you need programmers. You need the, so it's not that all those jobs have fallen away. It's just a different skill set that is now required. It is, but the question would be, if the mechanics, if all those mechanics in factories, that is now no longer as necessary, and instead you've got like industrial automation designers or something yeah. like that have we got as many industrial automation designers as we used to have mechanics maybe not so so in a team of 50 people in a, in a recruitment team who are let's say 45 of those are filling mm. jobs and the other five are doing some kind of enablement or management you know, will we will we in three years' time will we need fifty people to to achieve the same as those fifty people are today? Probably not, is the answer. And I don't want to be doom and gloom about like you know moving into the area of recruitment, but mm. I would I would also say that the jobs that remain, they'll all be better paid jobs. And that's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah. The value, the value creation, as we spoke about before, it's it's that much higher, isn't it? So you, you, I think you you're spot on. I mean, the the reality is there's going to be less resources required to deliver those activities, but the remaining talent is better paid, better skilled, you know, probably better valued in the business as well. So it's the same in most um, most like business support sort of disciplines. It's exactly the same in accounting. Surely we don't need as many auditors and bookkeepers as we did. It's the same in things like legal. There's a heck of a lot of legal work now getting done by self-serve SaaS solutions that are telling you, you know, you you just you just key in what legal um, document you need, and you know you just fill it. Basically, you fill in the blanks. You talk to a chatbot, fill in the blanks, and it spits yeah. out this is the letter you need to send to the council. To get them to make your parking fine null and void, you know. I mean, that happens, you know. So I think that it's the same in recruitment. It's the same in it's the same in lots of professions. Though. Yeah, yeah. And we we talk a little bit about that in our skills maturity model. We we've just launched actually, and um, uh, which we won't go into today. But it, you know, it's it really this emphasis is future proof in skills. And of course, we haven't got crystal ball to uh, understand what that may look like, but we can take a pretty educated guess at that. So let, let, let's talk about poetry, though. Let's talk about poetry, because you've been making a lot of waves in the industry, speaking to a lot of people. Um, I'd love to... I mean, you, you've been a one-man army, I would say, as well, um, you know, playing all these different roles. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about poetry. Why poetry? Why now? I'd love to say, look, I'm not, I'm not a one-man army. I've got this big team of people behind me, and it's really all their credit. It's all them that's... No, you're right. It is. It's literally me. Uh, <laughs> so, in terms of the in terms of the making the waves, it's me. Mike, I, I've got a I've got a co-founder, Mike, uh, and Mike is a, a, 
exceptionally experienced technologist. He's done much bigger jobs than I have, and he's got a very illustrious uh, CV. And Mike knows not a heck of a lot about recruiting, and I know not a heck of a lot about how to build a software platform, mm. but we meet in the middle. So we've got, we don't have any overlap in skill set, but we meet in the middle, and I'm the voice of the customer. So I tell him what's the dream uh, uh, requirement, uh, dream solution for a talent acquisition team. And he tells me what is doable and what's not doable. And then we negotiate on what's the right thing to do. So uh, it is it, it is absolutely wonderful to be working with somebody who I don't really need to get involved in his business because he's just, he works at light speed. I'm working at light speed. We've got no overlap in terms of what we're, you know, the tasks we're doing. So we're, we're building a company We're we could probably launch our product to the market today. Um, after about five weeks of actually building this thing. But anyway, why now? Um, so poetry is an art form using words, uh, to achieve an, an impact with people. Mm -hmm. Recruitment is an art form. Uh, and I say that because there are maybe 70 or 80 different steps in a recruitment process and you've got some artistic license around how you deliver each one of those steps. And the impact of that is the piece of poetry or is the artwork. So, you know, somebody could do the same, take, put in place the same 75 processes and actually their piece of art looks entirely different to the company, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the building next door. So. That's why I think it's a it's a bit like an art an art form, and also the the thing about words is words are so powerful, and like two people can effectively convey the same words, but mm -hmm. to a slightly different order, they they put forward an entirely different impact with the individual that's receiving those words. So, uh, again, I think words are really important from first stage outreach through to the offer letter and, and everything in between. Uh, yeah. And I love that. I love that analogy of recruitment as an art. Um, cause you know, probably if you speak to a lot of TA folks out there, they will also say something similar as you mature through your career, the ability to weave process together and understand and learn and react when you need to react is not for. Now, whether that becomes less as, as a result of technology enablement, potentially, but I think the ability to manage and distribute that work and manage those relationships is, is as you said, is a real artful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but incidentally, I was going to say earlier, you know, despite me saying we're going to need less recruiters in the near future, I am absolutely, I'm not just saying this, I'm absolutely confident that, you know, we still need recruiters. And I'm so confident that uh, I'm making a big bet with this company. It, it relies on the need for recruiters, um, you know, to 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 be there. If recruiters are not there, they're not going to need the product that I'm building. But over the last couple of years, I've learned quite a lot about sales enablement. And uh, sales enablement is effectively how you provide salespeople with all of the content and um, 
props and tools and calculators and things that they need from first stage outreach to a sales prospect right through to closing the deal, mm-hmm. getting them onboarded and, and everything in the middle. And as I'm learning about this and I'm learning about the technologies that are used to facilitate sales enablement, I'm looking at them going, what happens when a recruiter has written a social media outreach message? What happens mm-hmm. to that text that they've used? Where do they share it? Where do they store it so that they can go back and use it again? And then the next question is, if they do that, where do they store it so they can share it with their colleagues and their colleagues can make use of it? Yeah. And then the next question after that is, where do they store it so they can share it with their colleagues and then their colleagues can comment on it? They can iterate and add to it and enhance it and they can work really collaboratively. And the answer is there's not really a status quo for that. So in February, I started hosting focus groups around a number of different talent acquisition related subjects. And one of the things I was trying to add a few different ideas for new businesses. And one of them was this area of recruiter enablement. And what I was trying to understand is, is my hunch that this is a problem, something that um, people will tell me I'm correct about? Is it a problem? I start asking people, where do you store your outreach messaging? Well, we don't really. Where do you store your job adverts? Mm, on SharePoint. Where do you store your like elevator pitches and your uh, team pitch deck for your sales area and your team pitch deck for your engineering area and your team pitch deck for uh, you know your product area? Well, we don't we don't really do that. Okay. Yeah. What about for objection handling? we all just kind of, you know, are intuitive about it. As I'm going through this, I'm realizing the very biggest companies typically have some kind of a SharePoint where they'll have templates for job adverts and they may have like templates for branded adverts. They may have approved images Mm -hmm. or videos. They may have colleague stories in there, but that's maybe about it. And about two thirds of companies, they have nothing. Mm-hmm. Every recruiter goes through their company induction and then they're told, right, go for it, get on with recruiting. And they may be, you know, like creating things and storing them in their own, like in their own space. Uh, or they may be, you know, um, creating things and storing it in a Google site or something like that. But Actually, if they're not given something, it's quite unusual for them to collaborate in that way. And then back to the SharePoint thing for big companies, there was what there's one large tech company who told me um, uh, two weeks ago that they'd built about a year ago they built a talent attraction hub in SharePoint, which was full of different things that recruiters can use. They launched it with fanfare, got lots of engagement in month one. In month two, it was less engagement. Month three, it was less, and it kept going down. And the reason for the eventual kind of apathy was simply that SharePoint was not a appealing environment mm-hmm. for recruiters to live in. Not easy to identify the things that they need. Not easy to determine what's up to date and what's not. And 
I just got enough information that it was well worth pursuing um, this idea of building a sales enablement technology contextualized for recruiters. Yeah. And then started doing this YouTube channel all about recruiter enablement to test are people interested in this subject? And, you know, nearly 100 interviews in, what I found is they absolutely are. The average interview on there is getting about 40, 50 views within the first few weeks, which, you know, I'm not I'm not going to start monetizing on YouTube, of course, with that those numbers. But I'm getting it, given it's just me doing it, and all I'm doing is doing one post about the interview on, on LinkedIn, I know that people are intrigued enough with the subject that this should be a successful venture. So yeah, good, good. And just on the the product product side, I mean, you obviously have hundreds of pieces of feedback from from different TA leaders and uh, TA practitioners out there. How do you make a decision of which way to go? You know, um, on the value of you know a, a piece of feedback you receive from someone because I you know we're in the same boat right we 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 receive a lot of feedback all the time but I'm just intrigued of how do you how do you make that decision? Great question. So there's I think there's two phases in this. The first phase was when Mike and I set out what are the different solutions we're going to create here and which are the ones that involve software engineering work, software development work, mm. and which are the ones that we can build the solution once and then replicate it for a number of different use cases. Yeah. So that's us being efficient in our work and that's just great software engineering. So that's one aspect of it. Second aspect of it is, you know, what did the focus groups tell us? What was the things that people most were lacking yeah. and felt inspired about like the suggestion of job adverts was a big one social media outreach messaging was a big one battle cards was a big one right for competitor intelligence yeah so that's a couple of the things that we took into consideration then we go into the next phases we have a product it's the minimum viable product and we're in the A beta phase, and we have mm -hmm. got about 15 companies who are in poetry every day using the product for real life scenarios. And they're giving us feedback. And most of the feedback they're giving us is cosmetic things. That button should be over there rather than there. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know what the word on that button means intuitively. Um, I would expect to get from this solution to that solution with one click rather than three, you know, and those types of things. A lot of the feedback has been, it'd be great if it did this. And that ask is something we're nowhere close to building at this point. There are many existing solutions for that. One of the, one of the important aspects of what we're doing here is we are sticking to a swim lane and the swim lane is around marketing operations, learning and uh, and tools, we are not providing best of breed solutions for things like learning. We are providing some very simple ways for companies to host their internal fortnightly lunch and learn 
host the deck for that and host the recording for that in a learning section within uh, poetry. Another example would be who in my team of 50 people in talent acquisition knows all about assessment? If I've got a team of three people, I'll know who knows and who doesn't. But in a team of 50, I might I might not know who, who's the expert on yeah. a particular area of recruiting. So we've got a find your colleague, you know, based on expertise sort of area within the learning space. And then, of course, we're not creating the content. We're not creating the content for learning mm-hmm. at all. So there's other solutions like yours, which uh, we want people to be able to easily access directly from um, our workspace. So knowing our swim lane, like we've had quite a few people say, it'd be great if we could do some email marketing from here out to candidates. We're like, we're not doing that. There's no candidate profiles in here. You don't store candidate data in here. You can create all the marketing assets and you can manage all the marketing assets and things, but we're not doing any type of distribution very deliberately because there are a multitude of solutions out there. So the the technology that we build, almost all of it is not really something that recruiters have got access to. So I'm a big fan of the concept of um, the blue ocean strategy, which is making the competition irrelevant because what you're doing is just different. Uh, it's different, it's better, it's lower cost. And I've been very, very inspired by that concept for over 10 years. I have zero interest in going into red oceans and trying to create a faster horse. But on that faster horse idea, um, for anybody listening to this, you might not know about this concept, but I think it's wrongly attributed to Henry Ford. I don't think he ever said it, but there's this saying, which is Henry Ford said if he asked his customers what they wanted, they'd have told him they wanted a faster horse because they didn't have the vision for a Ford Model T effectively. Yeah. So I am also, to an extent, I, 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 de- I, loved, I love customer feedback. I love customer ideas. But I also think sometimes people don't know that that's what they want until they've seen it. So, you know, I look at a lot of existing recruitment technologies and I go, wow, you've created a real Frankenstein's monster there because you've just built on loads of shit that most people don't need because one company said they want it, so you've done it. And another one company said they want that thing, so you've done it. And before you know it, it just looks, you know, <laughs> full of stuff that people don't need. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, and this and, and it and it's become so fragmented in terms of some of the offerings, and and that kind of leads me on to kind of last area of, um, you know, there's a lot of TA leaders sitting out there who are faced with a, a real large HR stack in front of them, technology stack, and it's complicated, and the recruiters have eight different technology tools. What would be the advice from your side to not only embrace poetry, but also not to fear the the, the TA technology out there? Oh, it's such a a big and challenging question because every company is different and every company's needs are different. Um, I mean, like the, the, the tech stack for a... New York City-based legal firm is not going to look anything like a German agriculture company. Yeah, you know it's going to be completely different. So it is, 
you know, to use another cliche, it's horses for courses. I think you've also got to consider a lot of companies, the TA team has got complete carte blanche to choose whatever they like to do their work on and achieve their tasks on. Whereas many get given an applicant tracking system, which mm-hmm. comes with um, a broader tech suite that their company it runs its business on, typically yeah. SAP or Oracle or Workday. A lot of tech companies, they go shallow and broad. So they aim to provide straightforward, light solutions to lots of things. Mm-hmm. And then there's others that go really deep in a particular you know, uh, use case. So you got to bear that in mind when you're thinking about what, what should my technology stack look like. Um, some general advice would be you want to manage candidates in one place if you can. You don't want multiple candidate profiles on applicant tracking systems and CRMs and other things. If you've got a solution where you can manage the relationship with that candidate during a recruitment phase, and also outside of a recruitment phase, whether they're currently working for you as an employee or whether they've recently left you and they're an alumnus or whether they um, are somebody you might ha- might want to hire in the future. So they're a mm-hmm. prospective you know, candidate for the future. You want to have one profile for an individual. And if you can achieve that with your technology, then you've got a huge benefit over those companies that have got lots of different candidate profiles in different systems. And the recruiters are therefore addicted to LinkedIn as a result of not having enough good data about the the talent pool, about what the talent pool looks like. And then I think regardless of whether you have got a best of breed applicant tracking system or whether you've got one that comes as a package with other things, Really, the applicant tracking system is managing the workflow of the vacancy. And what you put on top of that and around that is what's going to determine if you are absolute, like world-class candidate experience, world-class recruiter experience, or otherwise. So, you know, the amount of times I hear companies saying, oh yeah, we're changing our applicant tracking system. And I'm thinking, you're going from one to another that's going to be 5% better. And I can assure you, the pain of moving from that oh, one yeah. to that one is not oh, yeah. pay off. Yeah, yeah. not worth it. It's not worth it. You should be staying on that one you're on and you should be building better things on top of it rather than expecting that changing your applicant tracking system is the you know, um, thing that's going to revolutionize the way you're delivering all your candidate experience because that company's uh, sales deck tells you that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. The, the ATS is is really pretty sort of um, compliance workflow technology. It's not really the thing that is going to um, help you to really stand out in terms of the experience you're delivering to your recruiters and candidates mm-hmm. and hiring managers. It's the other things. Well, it's some fantastic advice there. Um, yeah, listen, thanks for being on the show today. Good luck with poetry as well. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic success. Uh, I'd love to hear more in the coming months as well. 
And if you want to learn more about poetry, the web address will be in the show notes. Um, and also listen to Adam's recent YouTube clips in terms of recruiter enablement. Some really good stuff on there. So thanks for listening. And uh, thanks, Adam, for being on the show. Thanks very much. It's been a real privilege to uh, join you today, Neil. So that's a wrap for today's episode of Talent Sunbox Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to be a guest of our podcast, then please email us at hello at talentsandbox.com. 